Good evening. Um, I'm normally at the 10.30 service. It's a real treat to be let out in the evenings to come and see you um, here at the 6 o'clock. And we're carrying on our Encounters with Jesus uh, series. Um, and my first question for you this evening is, have you heard of Easter eggs? Now, I don't mean the chocolatey ones that hopefully we'll be enjoying in a few weeks' time. Um, I mean the Easter eggs that are hidden in films or in games that give little nods to other films and other games. Um, it actually started back in 1980, which even I can say I wasn't born then, which gives me great pleasure, um, in an Atari game. Um, and uh, they've gained popularity since then. You tend to find them in cult movies, so I mean like sci-fi and superhero movies. Um, and they just give nods to other things or maybe nods to other stories. So I'm going to give an example. On the screens, you've got Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but hidden behind him in the hieroglyphs is, can anyone tell me? R2-D2? Oh, BB-8, oh, BB that's yes, I think it's probably C-3PO, but yes, BB-8 could also be. Um, so yeah, there's links there to another movie. Now, it happens to have the same main character, happens to have the same director, so that's why. But just these little nods that kind of link you to something else. It's a little bit like a hyperlink in text. So you have some words and you click on it and it takes you to a completely different website that has something else on it. The passage we're looking at tonight in Matthew, um, it, the, the book of Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. So for the people uh, reading the, this uh, letter from Matthew, they would have understood much quicker the Easter eggs. They would have recognised them much quicker um, than we necessarily would. So we're going to have a little bit of digging. Um, but for them, this passage has lots of little Easter eggs in it that link back to other stories, that link back to um, uh, other things that they would have known about and would have been taught about from a very young age. So I'm going to read to you from Matthew 17, 1 to 8. It's on page 984 in the Church Bibles. If you'd like to follow along, check I'm not making it up. It's always good. Okay, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Just then appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So even without knowing all the Easter eggs, I do think the message of this passage is fairly straightforward. What it's saying to us is Jesus is God and we need to listen to him. That's the, the overall, it's a spoiler for the end of it for you in case you're wondering. That's what the passage is saying to us. And for most people sitting here tonight, I imagine that's not brand new information. Even if you're not someone who believes that personally, the fact that Jesus says he's God is quite a common thing that most people in the Western world would be able to tell you. So why are we talking about it this evening? Well, I think for the disciples, they didn't have our benefit of the, the hindsight of the end of the story. The disciples were right in it and living it day to day. They had no sneak peek or being able to see the story play out like we have. So for them, they had made a choice to follow Jesus. They had seen him say and do some amazing things. They'd also seen him do and say some odd things they didn't quite understand. 
Uh, they had no idea how this would all kind of end up. In the previous chapter, we have Jesus saying to the disciples, well, who do you say I am then? And, and Peter, I love Peter, he boldly goes, well, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, yes, that's right, great. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and then when Jesus explains to him what's going to have to happen, Peter's like, no, that's not, that's not what, I, no, that's not going to happen. Um, Jesus was expecting a very different type of Messiah, some kind of warrior king that would come in triumphantly. And Jesus was explaining he was going to suffer and he was going to die. So although they lived with him and they knew him, they didn't quite get what he was trying to say yet. And that's the thing to remember. They did live with Jesus. They traveled with Jesus. They would have seen him eating, sleeping, possibly doing any other human function that we do. I don't know. Um, But they would have lived with him quite in close quarters. So for them, he was quite human, as human as any of our friends that we kind of hang out with. And I think that although they had heard him talk about being the son of God, that potentially they hadn't quite grasped what that meant yet. They might have thought maybe... He was just um, a chosen man that God was going to use quite mightily. Um, Maybe he was a great prophet. Maybe son of God, they weren't quite sure what that phrase meant. But I don't know that they'd really grasped yet that Jesus was God. And I think that Jesus wanted them to have an experience so that they knew that they knew that they knew that Jesus was God. Because when Jesus went to die on the cross, it wasn't a tragic accident. It wasn't a, oh dear, how did this happen? It was the choice of Almighty God to surrender to death on a cross for us. And what I want to do tonight is just look through some of those kind of Easter eggs, those nods to some other stories in the Bible, um, to help us understand their significance and importance. Um, And I'm not actually going to cover everything in the passage. If you're a Jewish scholar here tonight, and you can point out a few that I miss... Generally, that's deliberate. There might be a few that I just have missed. Um, But we're not going to cover all of them because we'd be here for too long. But we're going to cover a few just to help us kind of understand the passage a bit more. So let's start with Moses. So Moses was actually quite a big deal. For a recap, in case you're wondering, um, it was him that was floated down the Nile in a basket. He was rescued by an Egyptian princess. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. It was him that eventually grew up and led his people out of slavery in Egypt. Um, Remember the ten plagues? Prince of Egypt is quite a good recap, or you could read the Bible, either one, um, for his story. Um, He's also the one that was given the Ten Commandments um, up on Mount Sinai. So you can see why he's kind of a big deal. He's also thought to be the author of the first five books of our Old Testament, their Torah. Um, So quite important, quite well-known, quite significant figure in the, in the Jewish kind of faith. And just like in our passage, Moses would frequently meet with God up a mountain. There's about seven or eight times when that happens. Um, the most famous one being when he gives him the uh, Ten Commandments. Interesting fact, he actually gets the Ten Commandments twice, because the first lot, he's up there so long, the people of God basically mess up, and he comes down and smashes them, so he has to go back up and get them again. I just thought it was quite interesting. Um, so there's several similarities to our story and to Moses's. Uh, Moses's, that's hard to say. Um, I'm going to just take us to Exodus 24. Again, feel free to follow me in your Bibles. It is on page 82. I'm just going to a couple of passages from Exodus 24, verses 15 to 16. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. 
For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. That was Exodus 24, 15 to 16. So if we now compare that to our passage, Moses had to wait six days for God to speak to him out of the cloud. And in our passage, at the very beginning, we're specifically told after six days. We're given that link, and that's when Jesus kind of went up the mountain. We've also got God's glory settling as a cloud on the mountain when God speaks out of. And again, we have that in our passage in verse 5. A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said. Now in Exodus 34, we're jumping around a little bit, Exodus 34, 29 which is on page 94 of your church Bibles, 94. This is now a second time that Moses is back up the mountain. He's getting the tablets again, tablets of stone, not like iPad tablets, just in case anyone was confused. Um, And he comes down the mountain, and people have to tell him his face is shining because he doesn't know. So it's Exodus 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So something really similar but significantly different happens in our passage this evening. So we know that Jesus, in verse 2, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And the word used here for transfigured is metamorpho. It's probably not the original pronunciation. Um, But from that, we get metamorphosis, which is how we describe a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. If you're not well-versed in a caterpillar to butterfly process, that's okay. But the caterpillar doesn't just stick on some wings and fly off. Like, it's quite involved. They kind of dissolve almost and remake themselves. It's really a significant transformation. So while Moses had no kind of glory in and of himself, um, he was just kind of reflecting uh, the glory of God. So think Ready Breck Kid, if you're of, of that age, that's my age, Ready Breck Kid, glowing, or Mr. Burns, glowing from the nuclear plant because he's been there so long. That kind of glow, they're glowing because of something else. They're not glowing because of themselves. So while Jesus doesn't passively reflect the glory of God, he fundamentally changes. He shines because he is God. It's his own glory that's being displayed. And for me, this reminds me of the moon and the sun. So my uh, three-year-old daughter suddenly got into the moon, so we're reading one book on repeat uh, about the moon. Um, And in it, um, it talks about the fact that the moon itself doesn't glow, it's a rock. The only reason we see it is because the sun is reflected off of it. And it feels like it changes shape to us because of the way that the the sun hits it and moves and the the earth's in the way and it changes shape. But in and of itself, it just passively reflects the sun. And that's Moses, he's reflecting the sun. Whereas Jesus doesn't. Jesus is the sun. He is burning with that glory that comes from being almighty God. So what would that have meant for them in that time? Well, Jesus is being repeatedly linked to Moses, a really important guy, a prophet, who actually, there's lots of prophecies in this sentence, he was a prophet that prophesied a great prophet was coming. Um, So by linking him, 
to Jesus all that time. Essentially, what they're, they're saying is that Jesus is, is who he's been talking about. Jesus is who they said is coming. And the fact that they would have easily made this link themselves, uh, we can see in John 1.45. I'm not going to take us there in the Bible. It's a very short uh, excerpt. Uh, but it's a conversation between Philip and Nathaniel in John 1.45. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Jesus was the fulfillment of these prophecies of, of Moses. He was the one that they'd been waiting for. And Moses, in, the, in Judaism, he kind of represents the law. Um, you know, for lots of reasons for that, but because he wrote the first five books um, of their Torah, our Old Testament, because of the, the Ten Commandments, that's kind of what he, he stands for um, in, in their faith. Whereas Elijah, who was also there, um, is one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And he really represents all of those prophets and the prophecies that were had. And in, in fact, um, Elijah also meets God up a mountain. Um, and the last time that I was here and I got to speak to you was about that passage. So Elijah didn't meet God in the earthquake or the wind he, or the fire. He met him in the still small voice. But he too encountered God up a mountain. So again, for the Jewish audience, Elijah was a really important person. Um, one of the most beloved prophets that they had. Um, still now in their Passover festival, they will invite Elijah to take part in that festival, leave the door open for him. He's really significant, really important. Um, and a lot of the prophecies um, that they had predicting the end times um, would have given them an idea of kind of what to expect. Um, they would have been having an expectation of somebody returning, of a Messiah coming. That was kind of a common thing that they would have been thinking about. In, in the book of Malachi, in chapter 4, they talk about both Moses and Elijah being there at the end times, and, and that Elijah would be the one that would announce the Messiah coming. So we've got all these links, all these Easter eggs, that for the people that were reading it would have been like, oh, Moses is there, Elijah is there. That can only mean one thing. And so the combination of these two is really powerful, um, not just because of the prophecy in, in Malachi, um, but also um, because Moses with the law, representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, that just summarizes the whole Old Testament. Um, and so what it was saying is everything has come to this moment. Everything is pointing to this one man, the law and the prophets. And that's really the, their Torah was summed up in those two, the law and the prophets. And then just in case all of that hadn't quite convinced them that uh, Jesus is God, God himself rocks up in a cloud, um, which seems to be his fave mode of transport at the moment, um, and says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So if Peter and James and John are not getting the point at this point, I'm not sure that they ever will. Um, but understandably, the scripture tells us they're terrified. Like they, they fall down on their faces. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell down to the ground, terrified. And you can't really blame them, right? Voices talking out of clouds is quite scary, whoever you are and whoever you think it is. Um, but their world revolved around a God that was far off, that was too holy to come near because you might die. The, you know, the whole, in the Old Testament, they said, keep away, don't get too close. So that was the kind of relationship they knew. God, you know, God was amazing. God was almighty. God was powerful. God was holy. But also you might die, so be careful. 
They had a specific high priest who would enter the holies of holies once a year, and which is where God's presence was meant to dwell. But in order for him to do that, he would have to go through several sacrifices and rituals and burning incense and sprinkling blood and lots of things just to be able to enter that place once a year. And this is what I really love about this passage and, what, and the change that Jesus brings. Because if, if far off and holy and a little bit terrifying is how they had it before, see how different it is now with Jesus. Verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. So Jesus, Jesus who literally moments ago was glowing with the glory of what it meant to be God comes and meets them where they're at, goes to them and touches them. Now, the last time I was pregnant, it was during lockdown, and obviously lots of things are different since then. But one of the things I never had to worry about was people touching my bump. Friends used to say to me, oh, it's a nightmare. People just come up to you and randomly touch you. Um, I never had to have that because no one could go anywhere near me, so that was a bit of a relief. Um, but touch is quite a personal thing, isn't it? We're much better now about personal space and not just like randomly hugging people unless they actually are up for it. Um, but touch is quite a personal act. And I, I think that's quite a good analogy of the salvation of God. An amazing God, an all-powerful, almighty God chooses to come to earth to offer us a personal and intimate relationship with him. And, and for me, God, Jesus, in that moment, having been transfigured, then coming to touch the disciples is such a great way of explaining that. I also love the way that the passage ends, verse 8. It's when they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. And part of me wants to say, well, of course they didn't. Of course they only saw Jesus. The whole point has been about it being about Jesus. Moses and the law, Elijah and the prophets, the whole Old Testament, all your prophecies, everything you've ever heard up until now is about this guy, about this one standing right in front of you. It's him that you need. It's him that's important. It's him that's the point. It's him that's the one that's come to save us. So while the law and the prophets point to Jesus and are good in of themselves, it is not them that save us. It's a relationship with Jesus. And if Jesus is, is not just a nice guy or a wise man or someone that's got something interesting to say, if he is God himself, then encountering him should make a difference. Encountering him should change us. A relationship with him should be transformational, not just once, but ongoing. So I think that Jesus wanted Peter, James, and John to be able to know that they know that they know that Jesus is God, so that whatever they faced, whatever they went on to, whatever the challenges, they would have that to hold on to. And before we end tonight, I want to just give us a couple of things to think about. And one of those is, do we know that we know that we know that Jesus is God? And that could be, for somebody, the first time they've really thought about that question tonight. Uh, it could be you've thought about it. It could be you've heard about him. He seems all right. But he's never really made an impact, never really made a difference. It could be that you have been a Christian for many, many years. And life and difficulties and busyness and stuff has just made Jesus a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. 
And now he's like a little pocket-sized buddy that you get out and have a little chat with. But the sense of him being almighty God, glowing like the sun with the might and power of God, has somehow gone awry. Wherever we are at tonight, I think God wants us to know that Jesus is God, that he loves us, that he died for us, that he offers us forgiveness, he offers us salvation, and he offers us life and life to the full. And if deep down we don't have that in our core, that conviction, something that we can say that we know he's God, then then I think tonight that's what I want to ask God to do for, for all of us, first time or the millionth time, an encounter with him that helps us to know that we know that we know that Jesus is God. But before I kind of pray that for us, I just want to just note something. Jesus didn't take all 12 disciples up the mountain. Um, he could have done. I'm sure there was no limits on restrictions of numbers, but he chose not to. And I think that's because each and every one of us are unique. God made each and every one of us to be different, to like different things, to be different people. He has a unique relationship with each and every one of us. And therefore, he speaks and encounters and talks to each and every one of us in a very different way. Just the difference between Moses and Elijah. You know, Moses got to kind of pretty much face-to-face talk with God. Elijah was, was hiding and had a small, still voice. God speaks to us in very different ways. So it might be that, you know, we spend some time praying tonight, and hopefully tonight or during this week you have an encounter with God. And it might be that you see a shining vision of him, shining like the sun, but it might be something quite different. And that's okay. Mike, last week when he was speaking, talked about encountering God on a 5K run. I might encounter God on a 5K run, but more in a kind of my life flashing before my eyes kind of way, as I'm panting on the side of the road, than necessarily an encounter. Uh, But each and every one of us are different. So it might be that you uh, encounter God when you're on your own and you're quiet. It might be that you go for a walk in nature and something about it speaks to you. It might be reading the Bible quietly. It might be that you get a picture or a word or a vision. God speaks to us in the way that it makes most sense to us. And actually, some of the most important encounters I've had, if I was to tell you about them, they'd seem quite lame. That's because they weren't meant for you. They were meant for me. And they were significant to me, and they were important to me. And God spoke to me in, in through them. I, um, I was at a, a conference once, and um, there was a lady just in front of me, and I really felt like God had a word for her. But it was odd, and like, I didn't want to look like a complete freak. So I was like, mm, should I? Mm, I'm not sure. So I spoke to my friend. I was like, look, I think I have a word for her, but it's really weird. It's just this one word. I'm not sure if I should do it. And of course, she's like, yes, yes, you should definitely. Just offer it lightly. Just say, look, I think maybe God's saying this. And either she can, you know, she'll respond to that or not. You know, just don't go and say, thus saith the Lord, and you'll be fine. So, okay, let's give this a go. So tapped her on the shoulder and just said, um, you know, I think God's got a word for you, and immediately started putting in, but of course it might be nothing, and of course I don't know if I heard right, and off I go. And she's like, okay, what is it? And I said, well, it's just this one word. It's just, it's just Superman. And this was weird, right? And there was no interpretation. There was no really deep, you know, Bible verse. I could then be like, and the Lord says, just that. And literally, her face changed, and she pointed to her bag where she had a little badge on, of Superman, um, and was like, and I still don't know today what it meant to her, but she's like, you have no idea what that means to me. That, that's really significant. That's really helped me. Thank you so much. And I was like, oh, okay. Thinking I'd really like to know what, what though. But it's a bit rude to ask, so I just left it. But so you, you just never know what are the things that God is going to speak to somebody through and the encounters that they're going to have with him.